And I think one of the things we don't want to overlook is that after-the-click, post-click experience as well. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello, and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And today I'm joined by our often returning guest, Landon. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah. How are things up in the Great White North heading into Thanksgiving and the holidays? Yeah, well, we had our Thanksgiving back in uh, October up in Canada. So it's always nice kind of coming into American Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and it's not a holiday for me, so I don't got to take any time off, which works good for advertising. But weather's getting a little chillier. Just got back from Mexico. So that's always nice to uh, get a little heat in before it gets too cold. Yeah, it's quite the uh, jump from Mexico to... Are you in Vancouver, like Victoria area? Yeah, so on Vancouver Island in Victoria. Okay, nice. Well, cool. Welcome back. This is a subject today that you brought up and something that you are quite excited to talk about and maybe something that most advertisers and marketers would shy away from, and that is advertising in restricted categories. How would you define what a restricted category is? Or maybe it's not even what you would define, but what Meta and Google would define. Yeah, I I brought up the official pages from Meta before we jumped on just so I can get the actual language proper for the episode. So these, by definition on Meta, would be like a special ad category is how they classify it. And it's for housing, employment, and credit. So if you fall into have an offer, you're advertising anything in one of those categories, you got to check off the little HEC toggle when you're running your ads. If you don't, they pretty much immediately are, are all going to get disapproved. And that's kind of what we've experienced with our clients. And that's kind of what it is. But what ends up happening is you're still allowed to run ads. Whereas if it was sensationalized content or firearms or whatever it might be, you're just not allowed to run ads to those. But inside of these special ad categories, you just have certain restrictions when it comes to your advertising efforts. When you read the documentation, it kind of makes sense. Their goal as a platform is to have the user first, best customer experience. So they don't want people to be getting scammed and they don't want any discrimination happening based on targeting specific people or marginalized communities. So they pull back some of what you're able to do from a targeting standpoint. But Facebook ads was built on its ability to get this like laser focused targeting. So we got to get a little creative when they effectively remove everything (laughs) when it comes to running your advertising campaigns. So you talked a little bit about restrictions in the sense of they want to make sure that marginalized communities aren't being taken advantage of through the targeting. Can you talk a little bit more specifically like what they remove and how that would affect a normal media buyer? Yeah, absolutely. So the big ones are like frauds and scams and like discrimination through your advertising. So you lose the ability to target age groups by gender, you lose the ability to do lookalike audiences, and you lose a lot of interests. So when it comes to even just like your interest targeting, you have very few to select from, like very few. And they're usually very broad. So it's very directional at best when it comes to the interests. You're not able to get super specific. So when you think of it, you know, you might have something that's for women, but you're not able to target females. You might have this really great customer list that you want to upload and create lookalike audiences from. Well, you can't do that. You know, you might target something for millennials, but you can't specifically select that demographic. So you lose a lot of the abilities to filter down who you're driving your traffic to. 
Nice. So it's maybe early indicator of what meta is going to be like in the future anyway, where they're removing a lot of these things, maybe not so much age and gender, but interests and other very narrow targeting options. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can see from the brand building summit and the latest summits that we've attended. And I know yourself and Nick at tier 11 went to as well. They're moving broad, they're moving to AI, they're moving to machine learning, they're trying to take away our abilities and not take away our abilities. I don't think that's the right way to put it. I feel as though they're almost trying to make it simpler. It's kind of the way that I view it. It almost makes it more accessible if there's not as many things you can do. But I find it really fun because when you remove all my buttons that I can press, now I have to be a creative thinker. I have to be a problem solver. I have to have an intimate knowledge of the market and the product and the offer to be able to craft an advertising campaign that's not relying on targeting. Because if we think back to direct response basics of like, you got your list, you got your offer, and you got your creative, and we remove the list, we remove the ability to go, we're going to put it in front of the right person, right message in front of the right person at the right time, we're removing one component. So now it's like, okay, how do we combat that? And I know you talk about it a lot on the show about creative is the new targeting. And that's the lever that we have to pull on is we have control over our ad. So the copy and the image or video that's being used. And we have control over where we're driving that traffic to. So the landing page, the funnel, the whatever is right after they make that click. So those are the two things that we have to try and shift our focus into. And to me, that's fun. To me, that's where we really get to get creative into what we're doing and really kind of show our chops as marketers as to, okay, you know, let's have some fun and, and start testing these things because I think we underestimate how much control we still do have when Meta's taking all of that away from us. Yeah, it requires quite a bit of trust of us on Meta to still be able to target the right people on their side. So it's up to us as marketers to, of course, think about the full funnel, but specifically on platform, how we create advertising that engages our audience based off of their demographics, psychographics. Talk a little bit about how you approach the creative and thinking through what kind of creative you should be using here to use creative as the targeting. Yeah, right. You got the words that's in your ad and you got a visual. There's not too many components that are in there. So it's okay. Inside of that, what can we do? So the creative is going to be the targeting. We need to think of what message or visual can we use to either attract or detract the right person? And I can't think of a better word, but we want to repel the people that this isn't for. And we want to attract the people that it's for. And we know that when the algorithm is getting signals based on engagement and all of the other things, that they're going to show it to more people like that. So if we can attract and get the right person clicking and engaging on that ad, by definition, we're putting our trust in Meta that they're going to go out and show it to more of those people. So if I want to run an ad to somebody that is elderly, then I probably shouldn't, one, be using millennials or Gen Z in those ads because that's not going to resonate with an elderly audience. We have the ability to go, is 9 by 16 the best format to use if I'm trying to target somebody that is 67 years old and trying to get in that demographic? Well, no. So we do have a lot of things that we know are going to be able to immediately tailor who we're driving traffic to. So we have clients in the credit space. So there's little things like, okay, 
well, what do we want to do? If somebody is in $40,000 worth of debt, that's going to be different than someone that's in $5,000 worth of debt. It's going to be different than someone that is in $200,000 worth of debt. If we can also start to do things like price anchoring, how old are these people? How young are these people? What debt load is it? We can use those things inside of our messaging, inside of the copy, inside of what we're doing on the landing page as well. So if I want to target somebody that's in $40,000 worth of debt, I'm not going to have, you know, get rid of $2,000 worth of credit card from shopping this Black Friday. That's obviously not going to be attracting the right person if I'm trying to get somebody that's in a much different circumstance. So we take a step back and go, we start to isolate these pieces of the puzzle, start to answer these simple questions about who they are, what they want, what's standing in their way, how are we bridging that gap, what are the things that these people have tried, what are the disadvantages of the other things that are out there, and then we just start to craft these messages. If we think kind of like copywriting principles, a really good way to think about it is how can I create almost like a movie scene inside of the creative. If I'm thinking about this person, what are they experiencing that I can draw a picture of? And then how can I translate that into the creative that I'm doing? So if we're talking about debt, what are these things that these people might be experiencing? And that might be something like maybe they're in debt because they're going to law school. Now, if they're going to law school and they're in this debt, now I can start to create this picture thinking like you're a movie producer. It's going to be likely a younger person that is in there. Now you can just start to paint all of these pictures. Obviously, that language is going to be very specific to somebody that's going to school, paying for themselves or a parent paying for their child to go to school. So now we can just start to create all of these little customer cohorts. Because if we think of something like debt, well, there's a lot of reasons why somebody might be in debt. And school is just one. I can probably name 10 offhand of different customer cohorts. And when creative is the targeting, those are all going to start to resonate and reflect with different people on the platform. It's funny, we've been talking about creative being the targeting, like it's some new thing. And I was with my wife at a doctor's office yesterday and I was rereading Ogilvy on advertising. And it's basically everything you just described of you got to lead with the visual, that the audience can resonate with. So if you are trying to attract women, put women in there. If you're trying to attract men, men, things that look like them, but having either the problem or the outcome that they want within the creative. It just goes all the way back to original advertising principles. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's nothing new here. And the other thing that kind of came to mind, this week we had David Herman from Twitter fame come and present to us. And he was talking a lot about the same thing you are here about like kind of niching down and Niching, not so much being specific for your whole market, but actually having small mini markets, mini markets within the overall advertising marketing that you're doing. So, and positioning your products for each of those. So the positioning is always coming down to who it's for, what their problem is and what you do. And if you think of it in terms, the creative in terms of that, and you do that for all of these specific niches that you're trying to target through the creative, you're going to start hitting those very specific things. And you have to be a lot more specific when you are targeting broad. Yeah, absolutely. I think people make purchasing decisions for a variety of reasons. If we talk about going and buying a car, I think we've talked about this on the show before, you're going to be going and shopping for a vehicle for a very different reason than I am. If we think about that, we're likely not going to be attracted to the same marketing message because our needs and desires are vastly different. Our values, our beliefs, like what we need to believe to purchase that, all of these little things are going to be very different from person to person. 
But when we come to the market with just this one blanket message, it's going to likely hit with some people, but we're leaving a lot on the table. If we can get much more in tune and create more customer cohorts and segments inside of that, I believe that we can capture more of the market and we can give ourselves a better ability to scale because it's not necessarily that like the value proposition is changing. You're still selling a car. Nothing's changing, but you can sell a car to somebody that is trying to take their family to soccer practice versus selling a car to somebody that just landed their first job. They just moved out of home and this is their big first purchase. It's the independence thing or somebody that is having a midlife crisis and now they're going shopping. There's all of these different reasons. If you think of, okay, well, midlife crisis, they might be like a shopping luxury. Yeah, but there's families that want a luxury SUV to take their kids to soccer practice with. And the message for those two people is not going to be the same. But when we shift away from we're going to spend $4 million on a Super Bowl ad that has to encompass our entire audience and go, hey, I can create micro pieces of content that are going to resonate with very specific segments of my audience. We have so much at our disposal and we can get very focused I don't need to be like, I'm going to put this ad in front of this 4,000 person audience and they're going to be super highly targeted. I'm going to go, I'm going to put this highly focused message in front of this big audience and there's going to be some people that are going to resonate with it. Might not always work and it might not always have massive scale, but I don't think, and this is my own personal belief, I don't think that every single ad we need to run has to be a unicorn and has to be able to be scaled to the moon. Yeah, I agree. I'd rather have a bunch of horses than a single unicorn. And I think the car industry is like a good illustration of this. I'm glad you brought it up because cars are all the same. They have four wheels. They take passengers from point A to point B. They have different mechanisms. But in the end, it's the same value proposition, just transporting you and your family to where you need to go. Some do it in luxury. Some do it with safety. Some do it fast. And some do it in environmentally friendly ways. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was talking to my parents and it's like, I'm considering getting a Tesla. It's not any better for the environment. I was like, that's actually not the positioning I care about. I care about not having to go to the gas station. Exactly. I just want to charge my car at home, get in it and drive. And then if I need to charge it somewhere else, I can do that. But I don't ever drive far enough where the infrastructure really matters to me. So it's just funny how positioning can be super nuanced and specific to super small demographics. And I believe with the Tesla example, I believe it, and I could be messing up, it might not have been a Tesla, but I believe it's Ryan Dice who has a story about buying a Tesla. And the selling feature that the car salesman used with him was something about he had to do a launch. So they like went on this back road with no cars around and just had them floor it to just feel the experience of how quickly the car accelerated, which is vastly different from, I don't want to go to the gas tank which is vastly different from I want to buy an environmentally friendly vehicle and, and be green and do good for the earth. Three distinctly different people purchasing the exact same thing. And all of those are value propositions of the vehicle. But none of them matter because Tesla doesn't market or advertise. <laughs> well, they do. They advertise through word of mouth, like we're talking about yeah. it right now. So it's almost like hidden. It's like subconscious advertising. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, I mean, getting into the weeds a little bit. How do you identify the positioning for these smaller groups that you can use for the creative in these restricted categories? Yeah, this is kind of going down like research rabbit holes. So, you know, at Tier 11, we have something called the Creative Strategy Framework, which is where we would be diving into all of this from 
on the very surface level in the industry, we would be referring to this as avatars or things like before and after states. But I think that we can get a lot deeper because a lot of those are very surface level, like what's their pain point? What is their desire? And I think we can go deeper and get a little bit more specific on those. But it only comes through a ton of research, talking with your client, talking with the customers, looking at comments on ads, looking at reviews on Amazon, reading Reddit threads. And research is a much more involved process than people like to think it is. It's not like sit down two hours or like read this document. It can be days and hours of research to compile this information. And then once you start to compile all of that information, now you can start to find common threads and common themes. And then it's a matter of testing because not all of them are necessarily going to be super high converting. So not all of them are going to be there. Some of them might be too niche to really be able to resonate. Some of them might fall flat. And then it comes down to the testing. But I also like to kind of take this and go a step further from just pain points and go, what are the symptoms in the present pain that people are experiencing? What on a given day is causing them to feel that pain? So if we have a pain, let's say your back hurts, what is that preventing you from doing? So if I talk about back pain, that's one thing. But if I talk about the inability to pick your child up off the floor, now that's something that I can create a movie scene around. I can't really create a movie scene around back pain, but I can create a movie scene around somebody not being able to pick up their child or having to sit down, not being able to go on a long walk with their grandchildren because of the the excruciating pain that they're in. Those are things that we can start to get a little bit more specific. And then when we start to think of creating advertisements, now that's a visual that I can create, or that's a video that we can create, or that is a script that we can pass over to a UGC creator to start to get this content from people like that. So I like to take it a little bit further, but it all starts with, An in-depth, vast amount of research is the only way that we're going to do it. And you're talking about Ogilvy. So a lot of the old school, original direct response marketers would spend days, weeks, months just gathering research, talking to people. They would go to a company and they'd be flying out to the company. They'd be meeting with everybody on the leadership team. They'd be meeting with people on the front lines doing the work every single day. They'd be talking with customers. And it's just through all of those conversations, reading comments that you're able to gather these little things that you're able to pull on to start to create all of these customer segments. Yeah. And going back to the classic Ogilvy example of the Rolls Royce ad of the only thing you hear at 60 miles an hour is the ticking of the clock. He'll say he didn't even come up with that. It was just through so much research. He found that line within the owner's manual. Maybe it wasn't even the owner's manual. It was a manual, like an internal manual they were using in the assembly line. And it always comes down to research and figuring out what your avatar's day is like and how the problem is affecting that day. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's not just one. When your old traditional means of a newspaper ad, yeah, you're not going to run like you could run a different hook in different newspapers in different cities, those types of things you can. And a lot of those direct response marketers were doing that. We have it a lot easier. (laughs) It, It doesn't cost us as much money to produce and advertise and get instantaneous feedback on those things. I can take an idea that I have for a hook and I can put it out in a tweet and I can get instant feedback on that. Me talking about advertising and restricted categories, I posted that on LinkedIn and I did really well. And I'm like, okay, this is probably a good topic that is appealing to people to kind of learn a little bit more about. 
we're in a beautiful position to get instant feedback for, hey, people are interested in this. Let's run with this more. Yeah. We are getting a little bit falling into our normal conversations because it all does come back to the same basics. Maybe let's talk a little bit more about restricted categories. Have you done much outside of the credit space? So we have a few clients in the credit space. I haven't done anything in housing or employment. But before we move on, I think we were were talking very heavy on the ad side. And that's something that our clients in this space, we've been working on extremely heavily. So we've tested five or so different landing page variations, trying to really narrow in that post-click experience. All of these things kind of play into that picture. And then the same things that we're utilizing on an ad side, we can take and reflect and utilize in that post-click experience. So that message that they're seeing once they hit the landing page can be in line and relevant to what they're seeing on the ad. Very, very similar. I think we often get... I don't want to say lazy, but I want to say comfortable. And we can fall into habits of modeling what other people are doing in the industry. I come from a fitness background. So a lot of people are where they are despite what they are actually doing. So we can very often be modeling something somebody else is doing. And that doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't mean that their message is targeted, their landing page is working well. I think we can get a little bit more specific. And that relevance is such an important piece. The more relevant our message is, the more it's going to speak to that person. So testing landing pages, but also testing the funnels. We're testing different funnels. We're testing driving them to a landing page versus keeping them on platform, doing instant forms, messenger chat campaigns. We're testing follow-up sequences and then like starting to branch out into more of like full funnel strategies as well. Because one of the other things that we can do is we can utilize the behavior and intent of the person on platform to pull them into a customized marketing experience for them as well. So I know that if they engage with specific pieces of content, that their behavior is telling me the things that they're interested in. And I can leverage that inside of our marketing efforts. Okay, let's keep going down this route. It's much more interesting. (laughs) So this kind of comes back to something you said when we were chatting before about this is the kind of space that the real marketers shine. Let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll go back into the full funnel and how you approach that and have a feedback loop. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I love this space is because I love marketing. I don't love just Facebook ads. I love marketing and branding as a whole. And what really resonated with me when we had David Herman come and chat with our team was like, he's in deep with companies, not just inside of an ad account. And that's what I love about what I do is when I'm coming into something, just seeing inside a Facebook ads manager is like a breadcrumb. It's giving me maybe a little bit of a directional insight as to where I'm going, like the information I need. But it's no, and in order to get the result that we're looking for, it is going to require me to really immerse myself into everything that we're doing. What does the research say? What is the client telling us? What is the comment saying? Okay, let's dig into the messaging. Let's dig into the ads. Let's dig into the strategy of how we're deploying those ads on platform. What are we doing after they make that click? What does the follow-up look like? What are we doing from a branding and full funnel standpoint? Are we doing lead generation? Do we have email marketing and follow-up in place? There's just so much more that comes into 
generating income, generating profits for a business than just on platform. So we can't look at it through that silo. So when we talk about kind of this is where the real marketers shine, when we have a very narrow lens of which we view the world, it limits our ability to get to that end result. If all we have is a hammer, we see every problem as a nail. But when we're talking about this and we have restrictions and how we like the tools we have at our disposal, we need to realize we need an entire toolbox at our disposal to be able to come and attack these and figure out what problem and which problem needs to be solved at what time. Being agency side, oftentimes clients come to us for a very specific narrow scope of work. How do you, over time, ingrain yourself so deeply in their business and build so much trust that you can have all these insights? I wish that I had a very specific answer that I could teach to every single person that I come in contact with. But I think a lot of it comes down to my desire to help somebody get where they're going. I have a passion that I think is seen and witnessed when I'm talking about these things. And a lot of it comes from the questions that we're asking. Like it's, you know, you talk about the five whys as like an example of like getting to somebody's underlying reason why they're doing something. A lot of what clients may ask may be surface level. And a lot of the strategies we may may deploy might be missing the mark until we dig a little bit deeper. So I think a lot of it comes to, for me, it's like asking these questions, getting a little bit deeper. And even if we're not a part of it, we're showing clients that we do care about these things. So let's say the the post-click experience, we're not working on at all. We're not a part of it. They're not utilizing our CRO offerings. That's cool. But it's going to impact the results that we're getting. And it's going to impact the results that they're seeing as a business. So I'm still going to be asking the questions. I still want to see the data. I'm still going to request the report. And even if we're not helping out, I'm still going to make those recommendations and I'm going to hope that they deploy them. And even if they don't deploy them, it's still going to be one of those things. And I think it's just that deep desire and caring about what is actually going on. I think that's how we really ingrain ourselves with the people that we work with, because we do genuinely care about getting them that result. It's not, you hired us to run ads, we're just going to run ads, I'm just going to put my blinders on, and I'm just going to click buttons all day. It's like, no, it goes way beyond that. You wanted ads, but I know what you're really here for. Yeah. Putting what you do in terms of what we've been talking about, I think what you're honestly always doing is consistently marketing yourself and us through problems, solution, and just matter if it's the right one for them to engage us further. That's maybe the cynical way of looking at it. But the more actual way is like you see signals within your scope of work and you often and something a lot of other CSOs do as well, like we'll go to the client and be like, hey, we're seeing this on our side. Are you seeing that? on your side? And is your landing page losing a lot of traffic due to balance rates or whatever the specific scenario is? And oftentimes that leads to an aha moment they don't have a solution for. And it's like, oh, can you guys help us with that too? And it's very much just noticing something, saying something and trying to help them grow their business and and reduce friction all along the way. Yeah, like I would classify myself as a strategist. I'm a strategy guy. I have 137 sticky notes. I'm a very visual person, so I need to see things around me, but I have a lot of sticky notes. It's like, I solve problems. That's what I do. I solve problems. People come to me with problems. 
and I'm going to figure out if and how I can solve it. That is something that my wife doesn't always want me to do. She doesn't always want me to solve the problem. Sometimes she just wants to be heard, but I'm a problem solver. And when somebody comes to me, even at the agency and other media buyers like, hey, we're seeing this, I'm like in it for like eight hours. I can't sleep. I'm drafting four page proposals of different things we can test and try. And that's what I love to do. I put a post out on Twitter and LinkedIn. It did really well. And I said, funnels don't make money solving problems do. People are coming for that surface level thing they think they need, which is a new funnel. They need some ads. They need some new designs or some UGC content. But they have a problem that they're trying to solve. And they think that's the thing that's going to solve the problem for them. And that's just not always the case. And then someone like myself is, I'm like, a lot of it to me, it's pattern recognition through repetition. I've just seen so many of these things that you just start to quickly connect the dots and go, okay, no, these things aren't adding up. We need to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's very limiting when somebody comes to us wanting a specific solution. But if they come to us with solving a problem, there are many solutions that could potentially solve that problem. And yeah. that's unlimited. Yeah, my wife's the same way, though. I have learned a little trick is when there's a situation like that. I was like, do you want sympathy or solutions? Yeah. Okay, I know. I'm going to fight the urge to provide my feedback, and I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to be here to listen. But it's amazing when clients are incredibly open to those things. And I encourage anybody listening, don't be short-sighted and think that we always know the solution. Like even myself, I'm always bouncing ideas off other team members. I have a theory. I have a hypothesis. I want to try and get the data to verify if this might be true. Okay, I think that this might work. Let's run some tests and see if this is beneficial. There's a quote, I think it's Jim Collins. It's like fire bullets than cannonballs, I believe. We're in the digital marketing space. I can take $100 and I can run a test to an ad and, and see what the results are. So for one of the clients that we were chatting about today, we had a theory. I'm like, okay, I think that we might be able to reduce some friction if we keep people on platform. And I think that the decrease in lead cost, even if the quality might be a little bit cheaper, will get us a better result with the conversion on the back end. They have a, a little bit of a longer time cycle in their kind of like time to purchase. And their business is a little bit different. It's not technically a purchase, but there's like eight stages that they have to go through. So we started running ads and we ran them for about two weeks before we, we had to get enough spend in there. But I didn't want to offset the results we were seeing with everything else that we were doing. And the results that we got were about one third the CPA of our other things once we did. But we did it with just this small test. And it's like, oh, we're getting some good signals. And even before we had spent one or $2,000 and we hadn't seen a result yet. And I'm like, no, the signals that I'm seeing are telling me that we need to run this a little bit longer to see. And then it was like one dropped. And it's like, oh, okay. It's like, normally this cost us $2,500 and that one cost us 800. And then another one. And then another one. And it's like, okay, let's start to reallocate our ad spend over here. This is definitely something that's working. We have so many capabilities inside of what we do with the platforms. We can be so hyper-focused and so laser-focused and test these things, get data super quick, and we're off to the races. Yeah. You never know what's going to work. And you have to try. And we're luckily in a space now where we can try anything with very low risk and usually low cost. I mean, there might be some production cost. But it was a simple ad on a beige, like the worst, no designer would ever use this color for background, except for some reason, Daniel, the creative decided to use a beige background and it just crushed and still is crushing. <laughs> Nobody ever knows why. And it's because we had an idea, we tested it and it hit. Yeah. And the challenge then is like, well, I got to do more like that. Do you think of like, I got to do more like that or I got to try something different? I think that we have to do all of it. 
I think now we just need to iterate on this 17 times because we've done that where we get this one concept that works and we try 12 other variations of it and none of the ones of the variations ever are able to replicate that initial one. Who knows? It could have been that first one just got an initial hit of engagement that just gave us a really great result. It could be that the time of year the first one was launched did better. There is so many things in the black box that is the AI and machine learning of these platforms that we will never know and never understand. And so many of these things we just might not be able to replicate. Like I had a post go viral on TikTok. I'm like, there is no way I could replicate that. It's like, no way I could replicate that. There's just way too many factors that are outside of my control. So I think we have to go, okay, if something works, we need to take the time to investigate and try and figure out why. Can we create more of it? Can we expand upon it? And then also at the same time, continuously being testing other things as well. I honestly don't think that we should ever be able to run out of stuff to test. You just get to a point where you just aren't being as creative. Yeah. All right. We have a question from Courtney. With all the data and insights we have at our disposal, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? How do you hone in on the best stuff most efficiently? That is a fantastic question. How do we not get overwhelmed by all of the data? What's the quote or the analogy about the best way to eat elephant? Just one bite at a time. I think that is just kind of like the perfect way to view it. There's so much information, so much data, so many things that we can test. And the only thing that we can do is start. I think as complex and as overwhelming as some of the things that I may have gone over because I get extremely excited and I just get verbal diarrhea and just word vomit all of my ideas and strategies. But the people that I work with, I hope, realize that I always come down back to what is the simplest way that we can move forward. Because I'm a firm believer that we have all of these things, but marketing at its most basic is very simple. It does come down to the right ad in front of the right person at the right time. We just have a lot of different ways that we can get there. So it's usually what is the, the simplest and easiest way that we can step forward? And it's just one thing that we need to do. We can have a backlog of 37 tasks and ideas of things to test inside of Asana. But it's like this week, we're going to test these two, or we're going to test this one. We're going to send this one over to the creative department to create some iterations on this this week. And then when we meet next week, we're going to pull another one in. So I think the best way to avoid overwhelm is to simplify what we're doing, not simplify, like not to not test segments, but to go like, what's the simplest thing that I can do right now? And you just start there and know that there's always going to be able to, more that we can do. When you think of the data and the insights that you're getting, like what are some of the main ones that you focus on and treat the others as noise? Some of the ones that I focus on, it's highly contextual. I think everything from what I have eyes on is everything from creative messaging, ad performance, results, funnels, business setups, business models. I really try and focus first on like, what is the actual goal that we're trying to accomplish? And then working backwards from there. So I struggle to not know the big picture. 
just how my brain works. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes to me and says like, hey, this ad isn't working, what do we need to do to fix it? If I view it through a siloed lens of just looking at that ad, I'm going to get into a tight spot because I'm going to be missing something. So my first question is usually I need more data. Let's look at the bigger picture. What are we actually trying to accomplish? And a very good example is one of the clients that we were chatting about today. We run lead generation ads. We get people to opt into a form. It's very, very simple in essence. However, there's about eight steps that they go through and then they become a customer. That customer is something that if I don't know what is driving that customer and I'm only looking at what's driving leads, I'm going to be making an uninformed decision. A good lead cost doesn't necessarily mean that that person is becoming a customer. So there's a lot of other elements that come into play. The biggest thing that I probably try and focus on is that ultimate and underlying goal is the very first thing that I have to understand before I can make any other decisions. Yeah. How I tend to look at it is very similar, but that overall customer journey and then mapping out more or less the conversion from each step of that customer journey to identifying where the weakness or opportunity is. Mm -hmm. And then, like I say, take a bite at a time. And you don't need to measure everything. I think that's something Byron Sharp said at one of the meta performance or branding We measure and try to prove too much when it's unprovable. You don't need to prove that brand advertising works. It works. It's been proven. Yeah. And it's not a matter of it's going to work for you or not. It works for everybody. It's just a matter of how much effort you're going to put into it and how much money you're going to put into it. Yeah, it's. I think it's incredibly easy to get too much into the weeds. And I'm a victim of it. I can get way into the weeds and... It's good to be able to be aware of that or have people that can like tap you on the shoulder and kind of pull you out of it. But yeah, I think Byron Sharp is like, measure nothing. You can't measure anything. It's almost like a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. So it's, you should measure something, but is only going to be directional. So it's utilize the data that you have and understand where the limitations are within it. All right, we have another question here. Daniel Green, how big of a goal does a organic social play in restricted ad categories or does it even matter i would say it has an incredibly large role because especially if you go into the the categories that are prohibited to advertise literally their only mechanism to do branding and advertising is through organic so i think it is very important for example Uh, CBD and cannabis. I believe those policies have recently changed on Meta, but I have a friend that has a CBD company in Colorado. And up until like this year, I can't remember, I think it was sometime this year, CBD was now allowed to run ads. Organic was the only way that they could build their business. So incredibly important. And then when it comes into, let's say we're in a special ad category, so we can run ads, but it is a little bit, I think it comes down to just like that testing mindset, we can utilize our organic to get signals. We can use it to rapidly test things. and But we can also do that often quicker and for very inexpensive on the advertising side, just putting a little bit of paid media behind it as well. Oh, problem solving. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What is the environment that we're working in? What can we do? What can we not do? And then how do we achieve that goal? Like what tools do we have? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're just getting all the questions from the tier 11 team today. Nick Miller says, brand advertising works for everyone. How does digital brand advertising alone work? Or does it need to be combined with digital billboards, TV, plain skywriting, flappy boys? I'm not sure what flappy boys are. <laughs> I don't think that anything needs to be combined with anything. 
I think that we need to avoid thinking in black and white when it comes to advertising. I believe that everything can work. It's just a matter of where are we going to start? Billboards are expensive. They're difficult to track. So there's pros and cons to every medium. But you see people like Gary Vaynerchuk, you see the industries change and shift and go, you know, newspaper ads were super overpriced, but now people aren't buying newspapers. So the cost drops to put an ad in a newspaper, it might become viable again for certain businesses. So I think it's difficult to try and think in black and white that we shouldn't do this or we should do that. But we can start here. Meta just happens to be an incredibly good platform for the amount of reach that they have, the abilities we have on platform, how sophisticated the algorithm is. So as digital marketers, it's usually the entry point. But we work with clients that spend over $500,000 a week on direct mail, and they're combining that with digital advertising. I think that measurement gets a little bit more complicated the more mediums that we're utilizing. If they're seeing touch points on TV, newspapers, direct mail, Google, Pinterest, TikTok, Meta, and now we try and give an attribution on a first click to Meta versus Google, it's like, well, is that true? Not really, because there's a lot more at play. So that's where I would say it gets really complicated. I think the size of the business and the goals are going to determine where you should start. And business will determine where it should go. So the values of the business, what they're trying to accomplish, how much of an impact they're trying to achieve, will likely dictate where they go with their advertising efforts. Yeah, it really depends on the maturity of the business, how much they've dialed in the lower parts of their funnel through Meta and even Google and other social platforms. Ogilvy has opinions on billboards as well. He does not like them. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. You see, and a lot of direct response stuff, it was billboards. And it's how do you track your efforts back to that? It's kind of comes back to what Byron Sharp says is it's like you put too much weight into measurement. But as direct response marketers were also... We're monitored on KPIs, so we that's why everybody shifted towards things that you can measure. And mm -hmm. I think getting too far into either end of the spectrum is where you kind of run into problems. So it's like we could measure nothing, or we can measure everything, or we could kind of find a happy balance in the middle. And Nick has informed me that flappy boys are the inflatable figures outside of car dealerships that flap around. Oh, the inflatable flailing tube men? Yeah. Yeah. They could work. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it gets attention. Scroll stopping. That might be a fun way to have a scroll stopper on an ad is Flappy Boys. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about related to restricted categories or even what's working now or not, or if you're prepping it all for Black Friday? Yeah, I think the last thing is it's going to be a little bit different depending on the competition and saturation of the market. So if you are in a highly competitive market, your strategy is likely going to be quite a bit different than if you are in your first to market or you're in a non-saturated market. What we're talking about, about all these customer segments and cohorts might not be needed. You might just be able to go to market saying like, here's what we got to offer. And because nobody else is doing it, you don't need to get as sophisticated with your marketing efforts. The people that we're working with are often in highly competitive spaces. So we need to get a little bit more complex with what we're doing. So I think that's something just to kind of keep in mind. Just like you said, the maturity that the market people are in, the competitiveness is definitely going to dictate the complexity of the efforts. Great. Well, Landon, 
Thank you for bringing up this topic. It is a fun one and it might be something worth adding into our hiring process of like, do you have experience in restricted categories and were you successful? It should be a scenario that they got to go through. What would you do if this was your client? Great. Thank you very much. It's always fun to have you here and we'll have you back again real soon. And if you are looking to find somebody to help you advertise in your restricted category, head over to tier11.com, hit the big pink button, and we'd love to chat. Otherwise, I'm Tom Meredith. Thank you very much, Landon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.